So the American Navy was doing night exercises in the North Atlantic, and their radar picked up something, and a lookout picked up something. So they got on the radio, and this is what they said. The Americans got on the radio. They warned the approaching obstacle. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. There was a pause, and then a British voice came back and said, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Well, this sort of ticked off the captain of the American ship, so he himself got on the radio and said, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. And the British voice came back and said, no, I say again, divert your course. So now the captain is like yelling into the thing. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. There was a slight pause, and the British voice said, this is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> So, that's not a true story. It did, however, make the rounds on the internet a number of years ago, and the New York Times actually picked it up and printed it as a story that happened. But it wasn't true. I think what it probably is is a very old joke that keeps getting modified to fit our day. But here's the thing. Despite it being only a joke, I think it carries for us a very important idea. The same idea we find in the story of the woman at the well. In our last teaching, and we've been in the story of the woman at the well for, for many, many weeks now. We took a break uh, for a few weeks, but we're back today. And in our last teaching, we reached the point in the story that Jesus finally says to the woman, I am. I am. And he's using the exact same words that God used when speaking to Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, who are you? And God said, I am. <laughs> Jesus finally is spelling it out for this woman. I am God. I am the Messiah. Then he silently looks at her in the narrative of the story as if to say, your call. Your call. Jesus has been trying to get her to change course. He knows the direction she has been running in for a long, long time. All the wells that she's been drinking in and drinking from have not really worked. So he offers something new, something life-changing. But she's confident that while her ways have not been ideal, they are still her ways. And so she's not too keen on changing course. And that's what we've been looking at for the last number of weeks. We've explored how she has gone back and forth with Jesus in a sort of verbal tango. You should change course. No, you should. No, you should. Until, at last, the most important piece of information is given. This is the lighthouse, your call. You can keep going in the same direction if you must, but I'm simply trying to help you get around the rocks. And so I've got to tell you, this challenge has been really rattling around in my soul lately. I've always been captivated by the story of the woman at the well. That's why this is the second time we're covering it since Cana has been around. And being so deeply involved in it again, as I have for the last few months in, in, in studying, it's causing me to really struggle with my own response to this great confession of the Christ. 
I am. For when I'm honest with myself, really honest, which isn't often because it's, it's hard to be honest with ourselves, let's face it. But when I'm honest with myself, it seems more or less I've just continued to stay the course for the rocks. Sure, I can see the lighthouse. I even understand what the lighthouse means. But something keeps me on a collision course anyway. I can see Jesus is God. I have made that intellectual ascent, and I am confident he is the Messiah. I am at many levels committed on a spiritual, emotional, and even romantic level to that truth. And if you've been coming to Cana for any length of time, you know I am confident Jesus is God. But I'm finding something is not settled still. Something remains missing. Something keeps me trusting in myself more than in him. Dr. Craig Kinnear, he's a professor of theology at Eastern University. He was an atheist before becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. His atheism was driven by the fact that he knew so many people who called themselves Christians but lived lives without following Christ at all. Here's how he explained it. I reasoned that if I believed that there was truly a being to whom I owe my existence and who alone determined my eternal destiny, I would serve that being unreservedly. If these Christians did not really believe in Jesus, there was surely no reason for myself to that's a powerful quote. And so I'm asking myself, do I really believe that Jesus is the great I am? The God of this universe? Those who know me best, or those who know me enough to have a feel for my life, do they see a follower of Jesus Christ? A person whose life is marching to the beat of a different drummer. And I'm not talking about the drummer of Western Christianity today. A reduced version of the gospel message. You know, a person who follows a limited set of rules and, and claims to know the real truth. It's not what I'm talking about. That religion got me in this mess in the first place. Because it got me thinking early on in my life that simply answering the right theological questions and checking off the do not do list was what it meant to be a Christian. I'm not talking about that. And that's why I'm wrestling so much. It's important. I'm talking about a follower of Jesus Christ. The people look at me and see a person who lives forgiveness like Jesus did. person who champions grace like Jesus did. I had a big soccer game yesterday. I demonstrated the exact opposite for 80 minutes. And I got in the car and driving home. I'm like, wait a second. What is going on? Did they look at me and see a person who sacrifices time money, energies, and even life, if necessary, in the pursuit of loving others unconditionally, relentlessly, without personal agenda, like Jesus did. That I see a person who loves his enemies, like Jesus did. A person who, 
even when profound suffering comes, can speak of the love of God and the hope that love will ultimately win like Jesus did. 50 years old, been a Christian supposedly since I was six, and I'm still asking myself sometimes in my most honest moments, am I a follower of Jesus Christ? I don't know. I'm just being honest. I know I want to be. I know that without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I want to be. I just don't know if I am. See, here's the thing. I've been reading the Gospels again. But I'm reading them and trying to read them as if I've never read them before and as if I've never heard anyone teach on them and as if I've never read any books written about them. And I'm just trying to read them. Trying to forget those teachers that I trust and respect but still want me to read the words as something spiritual and not take them serious. And i got to tell you, reading them this way is opening my eyes to my own personal ideas of discipleship. I don't know if I like what I see so much sometimes. Here's a few examples. And again, let's, as we read through these, well known to most of us, let's just read them again in, as if Jesus is sitting at a well with us and saying them to us with all seriousness. So Luke 9. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom. Luke 12, sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief can come and steal it. Luke 14, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Matthew 6. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Then, they, then, then you come to Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Sometimes my kids call me an angry elf. <laughs> You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Matthew 7, Therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus saying, this is a lighthouse. Your call. Your call. Rob Thomas, in one of my favorite songs of his, sings, Give me your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. If you were here for the opening video and the opening quote, these are all, all part of this. Dave's song that he picked today, actually the opening line at Lighthouse, and I didn't even know that until this morning when we started singing it. 
By the way, you should really go on America's Got Talent because I'm pretty sure you win with that song. It was unbelievable. Um, anyway, Rob Thomas sings, give me your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. Here's the thing. The more I read the Gospels, the more I'm realizing this is exactly what Jesus is saying to everyone who will listen. Give me your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. I'm pretty sure I have given Jesus my heart. I just don't know if I've ever made it real. But I think I know why, and this is helping me. And this is what is so amazing about God. You know, no matter where we are at on this journey, no matter how many doubts we may have, or how often we blow it or stumble on the journey, God relentlessly pursues us. Trying to get us to just keep going. Because sooner or later, we actually will surrender to him. He knows that. And then he'll do everything for us. That's the thing. This isn't legalism I'm getting to. Stay with me for a second. Remember, we're saved by God and we're transformed by God. We just got to hold on. He's so wonderful. So in the midst of my deep concerns, in my own waywardness, God still sheds light. So see, here's the deal. I don't know If I really trust, I really believe, but I don't know if I really trust that this is God. I want to believe, for if this is God, this changes everything. Everything. And if we can keep that in the front of our minds, that this is God, it changes everything. But here's what happens. I so often get stuck on some form of an ancient perspective of God. You know, a God that is only truly appeased with the sacrifice of the village virgins. And the more we sacrifice, the more likely it is he's going to make the rain come so our crops will grow, etc., etc. You know that God? That angry deity? That one Meg talked about last week that pretends to embrace you but then just keeps punching you in the head and the body? That God. It is such a prevalent and pervasive understanding of God. Church attendance is dwindling across America. I think it's because that's the God that's most put up. Of course, we know God doesn't desire human sacrifice per se, but we still tend to remain committed to that general idea, sub simply substituting other ways of appeasing the angry deity. And as long as this understanding of God remains a part of my journey, doing what these incredible words of Christ tell me to do, they're powerful words that we just looked at, aren't they? But as long as I understand God is an angry deity that I need to appease, then being a real devout follower of Jesus is going to remain elusive. For all these things he tells me to do, love my enemies, forgive others, help the poor, all these things he tells me to do, all they, they remain to me a coming ship that's trying to make me move so that ship can have its way. But if this is God, we don't have to appease him. And he's in this for us. Because he loves us. He died for us while we were his enemies. 
Now the words of Jesus become a lighthouse. Just trying to help us get around the rocks. I mean, honest, if you were really in a boat and it really was a lighthouse, would you keep going full speed? Right at it? Only if you didn't trust the lighthouse. It's all I'm, it's all I'm wrestling with in my life right now. I want to trust the lighthouse. <clears throat> See, we humans will always fight to have our way over someone else's way. Unless we are at some profound level convinced that to alter our course is in our best interest. We have to be convinced of that at some deep, powerful level. Or we don't. We just create reasons we do what we do with our lives. And we validate everything we do. So I think if we can come to terms that this is the great I am and has only our best interest at heart, then I think we're, we'll finally follow him, give him our heart, and make it real. I want to consider quickly in closing the seven additional I am statements Jesus made in John's Gospel. Each one of these revelations is meant to help us further understand the what, why, how, and who of God. They each illuminate for us the unqualified I am from our story. This is what's so amazing about John. You've heard me talk about John's book so much. I love it. I think it's the greatest piece of literature ever written. He starts off in the beginning so many things that then brings full circle. Well, in our story, he just starts off with I am. But then through his book, he helps us understand what I am is. Let's take, again, each one at face value. Try not to think what we've ever been told about before. Let's just take them at face value. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Every single one of these I am statements <laughs> scream of a God who loves. You can't get an angry deity out of these I am statements, no matter how much you try. This is just a God who wants us to live life to the fullest, now and forever. Wow. This is a God who's in it for us. A God who asks us to give him our hearts in a real way because it will complete us. Like Dr. Kinnear said, if I believe that there was truly a being to whom I owe my existence and who alone determined my eternal destiny, a being who without condition loves me, I would serve that being unreservedly. In our story, when Christ told the woman he was God, 
and then silently bid her make her own call based on that information, she responded with her whole being. <clears throat> Notice the detail John puts in the story. Then leaving her water jar. In this story, that is one of the most powerful pieces. That is the parable of her life. She has been going to well after well after well, looking for something. And finally, she leaves her water jar behind. Because she's finally drinking of the water of life. John, oh, I love his writing. The water pot she had brought to draw water from yet another well was no longer needed. The love that this man had given her from the moment she walked onto the scene was enough to convince her that the great I am is worthy of her heart. This is a light. Your call.